Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm your host, Mitch Friedman. Ideas have consequences, and every day you're exposed to ideas that promise human flourishing. Our mission here on the Pinocchio Project is to equip you to examine these everyday ideas so that you can determine for yourself whether or not they deliver on their promises. Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. This is your host, Mitch Friedman. And today I want to talk about agony. Uh, That's right. Uh, We're going to do a little bit of a uh, deep tracks, uh, deep cuts with the New Testament in total. It will include a deep track with Jesus. But I want to do a bit of a word study in a New Testament Greek, or Koine Greek as it's called, uh, the common Greek, which is uh, the majority of the New Testament language. And it's, uh, it's really important. It's helpful to, to have some facility uh, if you're a student of the Bible, which I hope if you call yourself a Christian, you are. Uh, if, if you call yourself a Christian and uh, aren't a student of the Bible, it's like saying, I'm, mechanic. I'm a mechanic, but I don't know what's going on under the hood. Uh, so for the person who calls himself a Christian, who desires to be a person of the book, it's good to be... Uh, familiar with and fluent at some level with the language of the book uh, as you read and are able to dive in more deeply. There's a lot, uh, there are a lot of uh, challenging statements in the, uh, the Bible overall and in the New Testament as the church is embedded in culture and will turn the world upside down. There are many challenging statements for people of, of the book, people who call themselves Christians. I'm, I'm, pretty confident. Um, Many times we shy away from the really challenging statements and we get into more of a devotional or what I call squishy uh, pattern of just kind of picking and choosing uh, what's uh, really tasty on the buffet of Bible reading. Uh, But today I want to talk about a particular word that appears several times in most important places uh, that are places of of deep challenge and a call to commitment. And that word uh, from the original language is a word that we translate in English, agony, uh, A-G-O-N-Y. And from an English perspective, I don't have the dictionary in front of me, but when I say agony to myself, uh, it indicates some extended season of uh, intense uh, challenge or uh, a, a move that uh, requires uh, persevering energy. Uh, it can be a an, an acute event, also that that uh, incurs a lot of pain and the need to endure. Uh, the The word in the original Greek language uh, is is agonizomai, which is one of the forms. Agonos is the the root form, and the the word indicates from a, uh, a New Testament Greek perspective, uh, I would call a baseline fundamental orientation of the Christian life is to agonize. And that sounds a little weird to you. It's because, uh, unfortunately, especially in the West, your, your teachers, which I'm, uh, of which I'm one, uh, have probably not a, done a good job in emphasizing that. And maybe in your own personal study, if there is such a thing, uh, you've come across these kinds of texts, but uh, they haven't really landed home as to the level of commitment needed to walk successfully this Christian life, uh, which has been given to you by grace, 
and now requires, uh, I would say, significant uh, output of conviction, commitment, energy, and uh, devotion in order to live successfully into the eternal life that you've been freely giving, given. And so what I want to do over the next few minutes is just look at a few places where this word uh, appears. And I'm going to have to use my reading specs because part of my ongoing striving and uh, struggle, part of my agony at a certain age is that you have to endure the uh, slow erosion or failing of certain physical capacities, including sight. Uh, I also have some help here. Uh, but I'm grateful for the technology, see a previous podcast, uh, that allows me to continue uh, to learn, study, and just do life with people in a way that I can see and hear at a decent level. Uh, so the the root word of agony, again, is agonos or agon, and it uh, in, in, in the Greek language it takes many forms, but it basically means a conflict or struggle. And it is the root of our English term, agonize. And again, this is sort of a deep tracks. Uh, we don't spend a whole lot of time in uh, wishing to agonize, desiring to agonize, or to have conflict or struggle. Uh, it takes many, also many other forms with nuances that we'll look at in a minute. Uh, but the first uh, appearance of uh, this, this uh, verb, uh, which takes you know, the form of a command, an imperative, an imperative form. The first imperative form of this verb that we see in the New Testament uh, is literally from Jesus himself. In uh, Luke 13, uh, 24, Jesus is doing some teaching that uh, it reflects a lot of what we see in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew uh, chapters 5 through 7. And in Luke 13, as Jesus is doing this style of teaching, uh, he says that we are to agonize to enter through the narrow door. And so I'm just going to go right to that text and, and read it. It's uh, Luke 13, 24. Uh, the, the context is uh, verse 22. Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus said to them, Strive, agonize to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter it and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he, the owner of the house, will answer, I don't know you or where you are from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he, the owner of the house, will reply and say, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. So if you're familiar at all with uh, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-7, through 7, in the last part of, of the Sermon on the Mount, as we get to the end of chapter 7 of Matthew, uh, Jesus says those same two things, but separated by some other context. Jesus says in Matthew 7, to enter through the narrow gate, because the narrow gate and the narrow path leads to life, and few find it. But many or most are on the, the broad path that leads to destruction. So make sure you enter through the narrow gate. And then later at the very end of Matthew 7, Jesus 
reframes uh, this statement here about the owner of the house, but he makes it personal because he said, Jesus says to the crowd on that day, I guess the day of knocking and the door being closed on that day, many will say, a Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these religious things for you in your name? And so therefore we should have entree into the kingdom before the door closes. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoer. So the, so the, the, the implication here, both from Matthew 7 in those, those combined texts, but right here uh, that, that's very specific and cascading together, is that we are to, followers of Jesus, are to strive to enter the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. So if you look at the entire context of Jesus' teaching, to strive to enter the narrow door is literally to discipline yourself to obedience to his commands. So this is the first agonize. This is an agonize to the narrow door. Uh, one, one of the English uh, translations is to strive or contend. Uh, so, so strive or agonize, make sure that your intensity level uh, is geared towards the energy required to be fully faithful to Jesus' commands. Uh, that literally is the the entrance uh, into the narrow gate, the narrow door. So that's the first one. I don't know how much teaching you've experienced or either personally as you teach yourself and feed yourself or other kinds of teaching from platforms and podcasts or other uh, media. And, but this is, this is a baseline uh, requirement for life in Christ is to continue to strive or agonize toward obedience. And so that's the first one. Uh, the next one I want to uh, highlight is uh, Paul's from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 9, this word appears again, this form of agon or agonos, or agonizomai. Uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 9, we see uh, Paul talking about a, a competition in which this is used. So let me uh, scroll over there and feel free to follow me if you have a Bible or a phone with a Bible app. Uh, we're going to look at Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 9. And you know, the, pro the, the Pinocchio Project is designed to examine ideas about human flourishing uh, and determine whether or not they can deliver on their promises as we run them through a biblical grid. And there, there are many ideas that Christians have uh, and are common in the church about what it means to flourish as a Christian. And if, they, if, if, if those ideas don't include the reality of these baseline requirements of agonizing toward obedience and in these other ways we're going to see in contending for the faith, uh, then we don't have the best ideas on what it means to flourish as a Christian. And unfortunately, some of the fruit of the ideas that aren't fully formed uh, won't be seen in total until uh, the examination at the end of the age, at the end of our lives. Uh, per 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 10 through 15, I talk, uh, talking about judgment uh, for the believer and also uh, 2 Corinthians five ten, which also talks about judgment for the believer. And not salvation at stake, but literally an examination of how we lived our life in agony for the good of uh, the kingdom and our obedience, or we decided not to. So in uh, in First Corinthians nine, 
uh, Paul says as he's talking to the church, and this is a this is a, a this is a call to self-discipline. Uh, verse twenty-four of First Corinthians nine, Paul says to the church in Corinth, "Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize." Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training to get a crown that, 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 will, that will not last. So he's referring to the games similar to what we know as the Olympics, but we do it to gain a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, and this is, the, this is, this is a, 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 I would say a, a, a vivid picture of what it means to live life well as a Christian. No, I strike a blow to my body to make it my slave. This is the call to self-control so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. So in, in verse 25 there, Paul says, everyone who competes, as we see it in the NIV, but literally it's everyone who ag agonizes with discipline, Everyone who goes into this intense competition goes into strict training. And so this is, again, a, an indication of a baseline requirement for a flourishing life in Christ to, to submit yourself to this, uh, this strict, agonizing, long-term uh, game that requires, and this is how he, he relates it to the games, to, the, to the, the, the literal most important game of all, the game that which eternity is in stake. Everyone who agonizes in the games goes into strict training uh, so that we get a crown not that perishes. And then he's talking about the olive wreath that, that the victors get at the finish line or in the ceremonies that perishes over time. We do it. We go into this agonizing uh, routine of self-discipline for the entirety of our lives in Christ so that we gain a crown that will last forever. Uh, so that's... That's the, the second one I wanted to highlight, the use of agon or agonos in the form of uh, uh, agonizomai. In this, it's agonizemos. Uh, don't get caught up. Don't get all freaked out about all the different forms. Uh, New Testament Greek and its various parsings and forms and tenses and moods. <laughs> uh, that was a challenge. Uh, I'm glad we have these kinds of tools to facilitate. Right now, I'm using biblehub.com. And the text analysis, just to scroll through, just it's e it's easy. I mean, it it it's so much available to us. Uh, again, refer back to my podcast on technology just a couple weeks ago. So the next one I want to look at is Paul writing to the church in Colossae. The next appearance of this term uh, that's rooted in agon, agonos, agonizomai, uh, agonizomenos, uh, and, and this is one of the most challenging texts that I've ever found in the New Testament speaking uh, to my life and what's required. Uh, Paul's writing to the church in Colossae. He didn't plant that church, but he's writing to it, and uh, he's discussing uh, his own passionate desires for the use of his own life. And his it, it's, it's almost just like a counterintuitive set of desires for his life because most of us, especially Western Christians, we desire the most comfortable, convenient, uh, luxurious, uh, affluent lives that are possible. Uh, but Paul's telling us quite plainly, which he does in a variety of places in his letters, uh, that 
the actual exact opposite of those desires is what what it means really uh, a truly to flourish as as a, someone who is is a vibrant follower of Christ, an effective follower of Christ, a contented follower of Christ. And he says in a lot of places that I die. I, he says, for example, I die daily. He says, I crucify my flesh. He says, whatever was to my gain as far as worldly stuff, I consider loss for the sake of knowing and following Christ and somehow uh, sharing in his sufferings and attaining to his resurrection. That's Philippians chapter 3. But here in uh, the first chapter of his letter to to the Colossian church, uh, starting in verse 24, this is so weird to me. I'm going to read all the way to verse 29 and then come back. Uh, Tell me if this sounds strange to you. Now, Paul says to the church, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. So unless you have a good context for what Christian discipleship is, this sounds like Paul's out of his mind. But again, we see this in many places in the New Testament, a requirement for a satisfying, fulfilling, uh, rewarded life in Christ is to submit to suffering for the sake of the kingdom. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. I fill up in my flesh, like I'm opened up. Give me the afflictions of Christ. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is his church. So what Paul is saying is, I rejoice in what I'm experiencing now, and I, I, want, I want even more. I want the full measure of what I'm supposed to receive as to Christ's afflictions for the benefit of the church. It just, it, it, you know, if I had time to do sort of a, a diagram or maybe a, 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 a grammatical algebra equation, uh, we would see how this all connects. But what he's basically saying is my service to the church, my responsibility is that I submit myself to the joy of suffering to the full, whatever's been appointed to me so that I can be as effective as possible. And this is not just for some pastor or some elder or some board member. This is this is the 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 message to the average quote unquote normal quote unquote believing follower of Jesus Christ. Verse twenty five. I have become its servant. That's the servant of the body by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. And then Paul goes into the common language he uses in other letters, uh, uh, including, for example, uh, the letter to the Ephesian church, to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and ages and is now disclosed to the Lord's people. And here's the mystery. To them, the Lord's people, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, he, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that this is the goal of my Christian life, to help to present everyone fully mature in Christ. In my sphere of influence, with the resources that I have, uh, my desire for for the baseline use of my life is to help to expand the population of mature believers that are presented to Jesus Christ on that day. And then Paul uses the agonizomai, agonizomenos, rooted in agon, agonos, the agony word. Verse 29, to this end I agonize. Which end? 
to present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I agonize with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So Paul is telling the church that my, my joy is to agonize, to strenuously contend with all the energy I have by the Holy Spirit, everything that Christ is doing so powerfully in me. Uh, you might just read this text, you know, without my exposition and just see how counterintuitive it is and how beautifully, joyfully agonizing are our prospects. Uh, I kind of like to say, I don't think I've been fully tested in it yet, uh, what's still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. But I like to say, and it's aspirational at least, Lord, just use me up. Use me like a dish rag because this, this, that my timeline is shrinking. My vivid reality will go on forever as I enter the kingdom. So use me up. Use me like a dish rag. Feel free to use that as your personal mission statement as well. Use me like a dish rag. So uh, I'm just going to do maybe one more. I love the next one. The next time this word appears in the uh, in the New Testament. Uh, one more in Colossians. And then uh, we see that uh, Paul in his second letter to Timothy right at the end of his life. Uh, and this is definitely a, uh, a personal mission statement or part of the construct of my personal mission statement as a follower of Christ. Uh, Paul uses again this word. Uh, if you know his letters to Timothy, Timothy his, is his spiritual son. And Paul's spiritual son, uh, Lois and Eunice. Lois is, is Timothy's grandmother. Uh, Eunice is, is Timothy's mother. Paul knew both of them. And then Paul uh, evidently had a, a primary a role in bringing Timothy to faith. And at this point, Timothy is installed as the uh, head elder or the pastor of the church in Ephesus uh, that Paul planted. And you can read of his planting of that church in uh, the book of Acts as Paul is, is making his way through the known world, embedding this brand new, beautiful, agonizing way of living with the vivid future in mind. So in his second letter to young Timothy, Paul is, again, very near to the end of his journey and looking forward to the next uh, portion, the real portion, the vivid portion, uh, as he is rewarded for his agony over the course of his ministry. So, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I, I, I'm not really doing the exposition justice. Uh, there we go because of this, you know, brief time, I, and I could do, I like to say this, I could do a whole series on each one of these texts that we're presenting today. I'm just going to read from right here uh, in chapter four, verse one. This is, final, this, is, this, is, this is Paul's, this whole chapter, this part of this letter that we, we know as 2 Timothy. These are Paul's final words that we have recorded. Paul to Timothy and to all of us, uh, especially those of us who teach, but to all of us in general, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. So that's the mountaintop, this presence of God and this, this reality of, of Christ judging everything, the living and the dead in preparation for his appearing in his kingdom. 
in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And here it is. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have agonized through the good fight. I have contended. I have been disciplined. I have been self-controlled. I have agonized through the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And here's the prospect and the expectation of reward because of his agonizomai, because of his commitment to contend, to fight the good fight. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And listen up, church. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So if you'll allow me, let me, let me finish, uh, finish again based on Paul's context here. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have agonized and contended and fought with discipline and self-control, longing for his appearing. See, because it's the promise of his appearing that keeps me in this mindset and this posture and this disciplined commitment to contend eagerly for the faith. It is that commitment that is fueled by that vision that keeps me earnestly agonizing uh, with all the energy that Christ has so worked, worked so powerfully in me. So if I can summarize, for the follower of Jesus Christ to agonize, to contend, to be disciplined simply means that whatever Jesus says, I do. Whatever the text says not to do, I don't, but in all things, I trust him for the energy to continue the commitment to contend earnestly for the faith until the day of his appearing. For the Pinocchio Project, this is Mitch Friedman, still desiring to agonize earnestly for the faith with the power that Christ so powerfully works in me, signing off. Thanks so much for being with us on the Pinocchio Project today. If this podcast has value for you, please subscribe or follow. Give us a five-star rating and share. If you have an everyday idea you'd like to submit for us to examine, simply email us at pinocchioprojectpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at pinocchiopod, or you can hit the links in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening. And remember, your everyday ideas have significant consequences.